Theology is oftentimes an adventure in missing the point. Indeed, the image of the theologian conjures, at best, a detached, disinterested spectator on earthly events. But what if a mostly orthodox Christianity had something vital to say to the world around it? What if, in the words of the great black liberation theologian James Cone, theology was really political language? This is Public Theologians. Welcome to another episode of Public Theologians. I am Casey Hobbs, and I am very glad that you're joining us today. Just a quick little note before we get started, if you'd like to support the show, you can do that in a couple of ways. First way is to give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and to write us a review if you'd like. And the other way is if you want to go to our Patreon uh, page that is patreon.com slash Casey Hobbs and you can find ways to support the show there. Today I am really excited. Uh, we, I, I am going to have a conversation with one of my favorite people that I've got to meet in my little journey and uh, today we're going to talk to Killian No. So Killian No is the founding director of Recovery Cafe in Seattle I had a chance to work at the Recovery Cafe for a few years, and it was one of the most formative times in my life, and I cannot speak more highly of the Recovery Cafe than to say that this is a place that anybody can come and belong, anyone can come and know that they are valued and that they are cared for and that they even can contribute to uh, the community around them. So I want to talk more about the Recovery Cafe. I want to talk more about Killian because she is an amazing person. So Killian, no, thank you so much for being on Public Theologians. Thank you, Casey. What a, what a privilege to have any conversation with you anytime. <laughs> Well, I appreciate that. So Killian, first kind of give us a little description of Recovery Cafe. Tell us what it is. And you heard my kind of fumbling introduction, but tell us what it was when you started it and kind of what it is today. Well, thank you also for those um, kind words about Recovery Cafe. Um, that is the way you described it is exactly uh, what we hoped it would become and what we hope each day it will continue to be. And I, uh, I, as you were saying that, I describing Recovery Cafe in that way, I was reminded of one of my favorite quotes by Richard Rohr and he, when he said the, uh, the most important question is not what do you believe, but do you feel loved or abandoned? Mm. 
And I think that is the question at the heart of the vision of Recovery Cafe. We, we don't ask people, what do you believe? And if, if you, uh, you know, with the expectation that when are you going to believe what I believe? Right. <laughs> um, which is, you know, a lot of, a lot of what um, ministries that, that um, seek to embody um, Christ, um, they uh, can fall into that. Right. To uh, focusing on when are you going to believe what I believe? Mm-hmm. Instead, we ask, do you know that you are loved or, or do you know that you're abandoned? Do, do you feel loved or abandoned? Mm. Do you know yourself as loved? Or, um, and even if you have known yourself as abandoned, which many, many, many of our members, as you know, have had that life experience of being abandoned and uh, then come and let us, let us help you rewrite your story to one where you know you are loved, that you are precious beyond measure. That, so that's really the story we're trying to, that's the, the that's what we're trying to live every day at Recovery Cafe. It's, it's, um, uh, it gets lived out in, a, as you know, Casey, in a million little ways. Um, and not perfectly. I mean, it's messy. <laughs> yeah, it's a, we, it's a messy place. I think when I, place. when I interviewed there, it is in downtown Seattle. And uh, as I was interviewing with a panel of folks, there was an ambulance driving by and you could hear the siren coming closer and closer and closer. And uh, it had pulled up to the cafe and no one in the interview in the panel kind of flinched. They just asked me, how do you feel about this being a messy place? (laughs) 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 And I think I I acted less uh, thrown off than I was, but by the end I might've been (laughs) just as unfazed as they were (laughs) yes well you I think you were unfazed and you were a big part of of helping people to know that they they are loved and not abandoned so I thank you for that um you know people often often say well you know how did this how did this come to be? And, and um, I think that when I, when I think back to first moving to Seattle, I had come to Seattle with a really um, strong commitment to doing something totally different than what I had been doing the 15 years before, which was um, welcoming individuals who have suffered, who had suffered homelessness and addiction and other mental health challenges into community. And so I moved to Seattle and said, I'm going to do something totally different. Yeah, it sounds very different from what you ended up doing. (laughs) (laughs) And then um, what I realized is that there is something so precious and so refreshing 
about individuals who walk through the doors of Recovery Cafe with no pretenses. It, all of that has been stripped away. All the, all the sense of, all the masks mm. have been kind of ripped off by the time someone walks through the door. And I realized I, I, I need to be in relationship with people who are so, so honest mm. and so authentic. I, I want, I want to join my life once again, uh, you know, with, with, with the, with individuals who um, will help me be honest and help me live um, with some of my masks ripped, ripped away. And, and so, so once again, um, when we moved to Seattle, um, after I had that realization that I really needed to be in relationship with these courageous individuals, uh, once again, we began to dream about well, what would that look like in Seattle? I knew what it looked like in Washington, D.C., where I'd been nurturing uh, the Samaritan Inns community for 15 years, but I didn't know what it would look like in, D uh, in Seattle. But of course, Seattle being such a cafe-centric yeah. city, it soon became clear that what we really wanted to create was a, a community of radical hospitality and radical belonging in a cafe setting. So, so that's, that's, what, uh, that's what has come to be in Seattle and what we are so privileged and joyful to uh, be able to help other cities now start these communities of radical belonging in in the cafe setting so so it's really pretty pretty joyful stuff yeah and just to kind of put the concrete kind of view on it it is it's a place that folks can come and and get coffee um there's a little latte hour uh and there's two meals a day five days a week and one of the i think really remarkable points that seems kind of simple, but I think it really lends to, to that point of radical hospitality. We talk about radical, it's not just opening up and saying we're here, but to actually give a place of belonging and, and even ownership. Um, because at the beginning of every meal, there's a time that everyone is, is called together and there, there are, um, there are chores that people can volunteer for and, um, or, or not, uh, <laughs> they can join, um, in preparing the food, uh, they can join in being the barista or assisting the barista. Um, and like you said, the place of belonging there is, is makes such a remarkable change in, in folks and, and is able to really to really, again, speak to and highlight their humanity. So I'm curious, 
and it might have been this way at Samaritan's Inn in Washington, D.C., but I know just from personal experience in Seattle with the Recovery Cafe, it was it was a place that you come from a Christian background and a Christian belief system and um, I think you're the way that you embody the love of Christ is really remarkable. Um, but the way that you practice that and, and that you cultivate that is in this great openness and this great um, inclusiveness. So, and it, it fits Seattle. I think it fits Seattle. It fits the cafe um, kind of, um, community vibe that, that is set up there, but I think it goes deeper. So can you tell us a bit about why, again, why you set it up in such a way and, and cultivate it in such a way that gives people space to find God or to find what they need in one another? Oh, that's a great question, Casey. I, um, as I have walked this journey, this spiritual journey, I've um, become more and more aware of that, the truth that that place of divine love is in all of us. It's not just in some of us, it's, it's in all of us. And, some of us have suffered, as I was saying earlier about that quote about abandonment, some of us have suffered so much trauma, so much abandonment that we've maybe lost touch with that place of, of the divine in ourselves. And, and what we need is not someone asking us to sign on to certain doctrines uh, or systems but what we need is someone just to remind us of who we already are precious mm. beloved children created in the image of god every one of us and we need to be reminded of of that which is already deeply true about us even if our own behaviors um maybe reinforce this notion that we're not precious and beloved you know some sometimes my own behaviors are the things i struggle the most with in knowing my belovedness right mm -hmm. and i think that's true of some of a lot of our members so so it just seems so essential to welcome people into a place that reminds them us all of us of that which is already most true about us as opposed to reminding us of where we what we lack and mm -hmm. where we uh, need to change and it and the strange thing is when we are welcomed and loved just as we are that's when we do change mm. you know I, 
we, we don't change uh, under scrutiny and judgment. We, we change and grow and evolve and become when we are uh, just, when love is be, has watered, we've been watered mm. um, by love. You know, that if to, to, to think of the flowers, I'm looking out my window right now, and just to think of what it takes for a flower to blossom in the spring um, is exactly what we all need. We need to, to just um, experience our own belovedness. Hmm. I don't know if that answers your question. Um, I, I've also, uh, I've also come to believe that the deeper we go in our own journey, our own spiritual journey, the deeper we go into the heart of love within us, the closer we become to uh, those who are traveling that same road in their own faith traditions. Hmm. And, and we, uh, we meet there, you know, there, as Rumi says, there is a, a garden and that, I well, I, I'm going to mess up that quote. Do you know that <laughs> quote I'm talking about? Uh, I don't know that I know that quote, but. Okay, so she sent me the quote after the fact. And here, I just want to read it for you. The Rumi quote is, Out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and rightdoing, there is a field. I'll meet you there. When the soul lies down in the grass, the world is too full to talk about. It sounds like something worth investigating. <laughs> I'm sorry, I shouldn't bring the quotes that I can't remember. I do that all that, the time. <laughs> that, out, that there's this place beyond you and me where we can meet and and know that we are one with mm. each other. Beyond your ego, ego and my ego. Um, and we, we can meet there and know our oneness. So I think that's the journey that a lot of that we try to make possible uh, by just holding that that loving accepting space and again it's messy um, but it, it, I, one of my favorite Gordon Cosby quotes and I do know this I won't forget this one <laughs> he said he said really um, the essence of church is really just holding a space where people can collapse into each other mm. and know that they're loved. And um, I think the, the cafe, you know, we many of our principles and many of our practices grew out of my twenty-some uh, year experience at Church of the Savior in DC. And, and so many of what we, much of what we hope to be is a place where people can collapse into each other and know our belovedness. Yeah. Uh, so beautiful. Yeah. And, and I think, I think the amazing part again about, about the recovery cafe is that, that there has been a space created to actually make that happen. Um, I'm curious, you know, 
you can answer this in any way that that you see fit. And if you need me to edit it out later, I can, <laughs> can do that. Uh, dude, I, I may need you to edit out that Rumi quote. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe a little bit of it, but I think you ended up getting somewhere really great. <laughs> um, but I'm curious, one of the things that we do with this podcast is, is kind of go off of a quote from James Cone um, that all theology is political language. And so not to get into any sort of partisan questions, but, but I'm curious, um, kind of what are some things that, that you've seen at the, at the cafe with folks that you've, that you've worked with, um, that have been maybe, uh, affected by, by systems that exist in, um, maybe in our criminal justice system, maybe in our economy. Um, uh, even saying this out loud, I'm thinking just of uh, marijuana um, restrictions and, and kind of federal policy on, on that and, and the effects that it has on um, maybe folks that end up in, at the Recovery Cafe or um, just folks in the community. So I'm curious if you, if you kind of see... Um, these see kind of broader structures that um, work against um, folks feeling like they have a place to belong, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. The, there are systems that um, were created with great intention uh, to value certain lives more than others. It, it, that, um, and, and we see that every day. We, uh, we know, for example, let's just start with the way we, in our society, use, and, and Seattle, which is, you know, this, a uh, notably progressive city, but look at the ways that we use prisons mm -hmm. instead of treatment. Uh, we, we, we imprison people instead of offering them treatment. And that I believe it's six times the number of, of uh, people of color who are imprisoned, six times... Uh, that of, of white people. And um, so yes, the systems that oppress and exclude members of our human family, um, definitely reinforce the notion that you are abandoned. Yeah. And make it much harder to communicate, no, 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 you are loved, you are loved. Because by the time people walk through our doors, they have experienced often so much systemic racism or other forms of, of exclusion. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe a, a few words about that because again, Seattle is, is known to 
the rest of the country as being kind of a bastion of progressive policies. Um, but yeah, there, there's still the criminalization of homelessness um, is a big thing in Seattle. Um, it, it's, it's, there's homeless, there's constantly homeless encampments that are being cleared out. Um, people being shuffled here and there, um, having their possessions seized, um, that kind of thing. So I wonder if you could speak to that. Well, it's, it's uh, on the one hand, I, boy, I'm just, I'm glad I'm not the mayor of Seattle. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, it is very complex. It's a very complex issue. Um, on the one hand, and then there's some some gifts, I guess, that go along with having a, a more simple mind that can't hold quite so much complexity. And, and so on the other hand, it does seem that if we valued people, if, if we valued people truly mm. as our brothers, our sisters, our our family, um, then there would be, an, we would find a way to create enough housing for everyone. Yeah. And um, so on the one hand, I know it's very complex. And I, I heard uh, yesterday that we're the, we have the highest number of home, uh, those experiencing homelessness in our city third highest of any u.s city and of course we're a, a lot smaller than the other two no uh label that that we can put on beloved children of god other than that one maybe. yeah <laughs> maybe that's the only label that's, that's the only label acceptable <laughs> yeah um and kind of to that, the point of housing, um, there, I, after I worked at Recovery Cafe, I worked at a small food bank right down the street from Recovery Cafe. And I remember one day there was a, a gentleman who was typically upset. Um, and uh, I remember one time he got angry at me and he had lived in the neighborhood um, for his whole life, it seemed. And his, in his anger, he, he shouted at me. He said, I'll bet that you don't even live around here. I'll bet you live out in the suburbs. And, and I, I'll never forget that because it was true. And also he lived about a mile and a half or less from the Amazon headquarters. And so there would be, would be almost no way that I could move and live where he lived. Um, so just the amount of change, um, the amount of kind of gentrification that had happened in his lifetime to, to think that you're an outsider. And to me, to experience, I would say, I, I have to be an outsider. I can't live right here. I can't afford to live where you live, but he lived in subsidized housing. Um, so yeah, just, I don't know 
I don't know where my question is in that, but just the the rapid change that Seattle in particular has has undergone and you know it being a, a fairly unlivable city um, for anyone that's not really <laughs> really doing well. Um, so yeah, just I don't know. I'm I'm struggling to come up with with a real question in that, but maybe you can speak to to what it's like to to minister among folks that have been displaced by that sort of change. You know, um, I I can just I can say yeah, you are you got that right. Um, <laughs> the the housing I read today that. Uh, in the Seattle Times that the housing prices continue to go up. I mean, nobody believed they would continue to soar even during a global pandemic, but they continue to to go up so that even the people who work at Recovery Cafe, as you pointed out, Casey, can't afford to live close to Mm -hmm. Recovery Cafe. And it's a, it's a real dilemma in our city. And, and again, I know it's, it's, it's complex, but I just don't see how it can continue. I think we, we have got to, we have got to have a, a reckoning, mm. you know, with this, socioeconomic inequality, which is also um, very related to racial inequality. There are many layers, but they overlap. And I I just don't, I I don't know how that day of reckoning Mm. can um, be postponed. It, when it is so just glaringly apparent in um, in many um, U.S. cities, certainly Seattle. I I just don't know how that day of reckoning can can be postponed. Yeah, I'm curious. Uh, maybe a couple more questions, and we'll see where these go. Um, I'm curious. 2020 was the year of COVID and the year of, of racial reckoning um, and marches and demonstrations. Um, not far from where you are, just up the street uh, was the- um, Chop. The chop, yep. Um, so I'm curious how, what an impact that's made in the Recovery Cafe community and um, kind of how, what's been y'all's response as an organization to that? Uh, specifically to the racial reckoning that? Yeah, I asked you like a million questions there. Yeah, sure. <laughs> you know what? I, um, I think for our community, we, we all, um, all of the people who who work at Recovery Cafe and help hold that space and invite others into it. Um, 
I think we all view ourselves as social justice advocates. And, um, and I think this past year has been a year of going deeper and getting even more doing doing our own inner work. I mean, mm. um, yes, we were all social ju justice advocates, um, and many of us for for many years and decades. But what is ours to do now? Uh, mm. We um, it has been a, a a a time of reckoning for all of us, and what will that look like? And so I'll just give you one example, one, one specific example of what has come of that for us at the Seattle Recovery Cafe, which as you know, and but maybe your listeners don't know, um, the Seattle Recovery Cafe as, has a branch of our work called the Recovery Cafe Network. And we, um, that branch of our work is dedicated to helping other communities across the U.S. start recovery cafes in their, their towns or their cities. And so what we, what we uh, decided roughly a year ago was that even though we had always been for um, we had always stood with those who were oppressed and excluded and left out. Mm -hmm. We decided we needed to be even more explicit about our call to work to end systemic racism and socioeconomic inequality. And so we adopted and embraced as our sixth core commitment that that is, uh, that is part of our mission and the part of, of the mission of every group that joins this Recovery Cafe Network. That it, that, and okay, so great. We came up with the sixth <laughs> core commitment. Um, that can so often just be where it ends for right. a lot of us with white people, especially we, we come up with this. We adopt the right language and great. Yeah. Yeah. And we're ready. And, um, and we know our hearts are good. Right. So, mm -hmm. so it all feels good. It feels like we got the right language and we know we got good hearts, but, but we are not letting ourselves off the hook that easily. And we are working very rigorously and I want to give a lot of credit to Gordon Greaves on, on this uh, uh, front, but he's helping us work really rigorously to, um, to say, what does that look like? You know, um, another Gordon Cosby quote, he used to always say, we, we have to move from the general to the specific or it means nothing. Mm. He said, it's, it means nothing to have all these general desires, right. general commitments. And so what we're doing now as a Seattle Cafe and in uh, 
all the different cafes in our uh, network are doing this work, we're asking, what does that mean that, to be working to end systemic racism and socioeconomic inequality? What does it mean in our cafe? Mm. And what are the specifics that we are going to embrace? And boy, um, that brings up, it really brings up lots of, lots more work to do. It, right. You know, they say in uh, the 12-step program, the more we recover, the more we uncover. Mm. And has that ever been the case? The more yep. we recover from systemic racism, the more we uncover the work that needs to be done. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I love that answer. Um, so I guess kind of one more question and I want to keep talking forever, but I'm sure that you've got other places to be too. So um, before I ask this, thank you so much for taking the time again. Um, I always feel like anytime I get to talk to you, it's, it feels expansive and it feels like I want to just keep it going. Um, so that's me being jealous. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, tell us kind of about the, the expansion of the recovery cafe. No, that's been a, a several year process. So that's in several different cities. I think it was in San Jose first. Is that correct? After yeah. Seattle? Yeah. And then, so tell us about where it's at now and kind of where that's going. Okay. Well, about, I, I'd say it was maybe four years into um being the recovery cafe in Seattle, we, um, we have this group, this church group in San Jose reach out to us and say, Hey, we want to learn about this. We want to learn about this model. And can a group of us come up and visit? And we said, sure. It was so fun. And they, they have become our dear friends. I love them. But, um, so they came up several different times and, and we, some of us went down there a couple of times and, and um, over the period of two or three years, we basically sh shared with them everything we knew about mm -hmm. starting a recovery cafe. And then another group said, hey, <laughs> tell us what you, you know, how do we do this? And, and then another and another. And then we said, oh man, you know, if we're gonna do this well, we have to find a more systemic way to sure. share or a systematic way is probably a better way. Uh, um, a more systematic way to share this model. And, and we've got to be really thoughtful about what are the most important things for them to get right and replicate. And what are the things that don't matter? Cause mm -hmm. we didn't, we knew we didn't want to, we never set out to be a, a McDonald's, you right. know, <laughs> replicate exactly what's going yeah, on. <laughs> where all the fries are exactly the same, <laughs> shakes are the same formula. So we had to really get thoughtful about what, uh, what are the, what is the essence of this model, sure. and and so we we did did our work on that, and and now we have. Um, 
23 cafes in the network. And in April, we'll welcome four, four more. Wow. And what's amazing to us, even though um, this last year we've been in a pandemic and much of the recovery support has been in the form of teleconnection mm-hmm. and Zoom recovery circles. And, you know, we've continued to serve the two meals a day um, in, in, as takeout meals because mm. we weren't allowed to have people in a gathering space eating without masks on. We weren't allowed to do that. And so, mm. so even though there have this past year has required a lot of innovative yeah. responses, um, the fact that there's still these groups of faithful individuals wanting to love the people in their communities who have been left out. It just, it just brings me to tears mm. that, that even in the pandemic that there are four groups coming to us to learn how to do this is just uh, kind of it's wild. It's kind of wild. Well, Killian, uh, I'm going to post a, uh, some links to the Recovery Cafe so the folks can read up more about it if they don't know about the Recovery Cafe and can um, look to for ways to support and join in um, if if that's uh, something that they're that they'd like to do. But um, I just really want to thank you for this time, and I really. I th- just want to thank you for your steadfastness in caring for those who have been left out. I think the folks there in Seattle and now in 23 plus four and counting other places um, are all beneficiaries as I am of just being in the presence of someone that cares and that genuinely um sees the image of God in other people and wants to, to call that out um, in, in very personal and unique ways. So thank you. Well, Casey, I, I, um, I, I feel the same about you. I've been in the presence of someone who cares. And, and the, the thing about about wanting to include those who've been left out is that none of us, I mean, Martin Luther King said this best, but none of us can become all we were created to become when there are some who Mm. have no hope of becoming who they were created to become. So it's really about the whole human family um, coming off as, as who we were, uh, created to to become, and so thank you for caring about that as well. Because we're all needed in this mm. movement. Well, um, 
hopefully we can, our paths will cross again soon, but thank you so much for making this time today. Thank you, Casey. And that's our show. Thank you so much for listening. Our theme music is by Small Fish. Our art is by Phil Nellis. We would love it if you would share this episode, if you would get a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. And we also have a Patreon page at patreon.com slash where you can support us for as little as $3 per month. Now go in peace to love and serve.